0: standing outside of my vehicle at one point and uh, I was talking about just screaming into the handset our our column was several miles long so I'm trying to get indirect support from somewhere back in the column and while I am the mortar rounds are falling around our feet and and just the percussion of those explosions from the bottom of my feet through the top of my head um I mean it shakes up your insides and you can't even explain it unless you've you've been through it um Marines that were standing near me getting knocked back onto their backs. So we've got the mortar rounds falling around us. We've got this, this four-barreled anti-aircraft gun swinging our direction. We're in a, a horrible, horrible spot.
1: Welcome to the Empowered Manhood Podcast, where men rediscover courageous masculinity. Pull up a chair as we gain strength from the stories of God working in the lives of ordinary men today. These men have discovered that in a world of superficiality and isolation, we need authentic brotherhood to gain strength for the battles we face every day. Brought to you by the ministry of CLC, which challenges men to an uncommon pursuit of Christ, welcome to Empowered Manhood. Welcome back, fellas, along with best-selling author Chris Bollinger. I am your host, Mike Hatch, and This is the second half of our interview with Jeremy Stalnecker. And again, he shares an incredible story during our interview today that has so many uh, implications and applications to us in our lives spiritually. And what strikes me about this interview is how important connection is. And Jeremy talks about that both for veterans who have come back from war or from serving in some capacity, that includes first responders as well, and leaving that community and and the significance of finding connection for them once they return to civilian life. And the same is true for each one of us as men. We desperately need connection. So wherever you are with regard to whether attending a church, maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're a ministry leader of some sort, I would love to connect with you to help you think through how to facilitate this kind of connection within your own realm or spheres of influence. At CLC, that is our mission, is to help Disciple men, provide resources to disciple men all over the world, and it's been amazing connecting with so many of you around the country who have felt called by God to to facilitate that connection, to help men find relationship, deep, lasting relationships in your church, and to be discipled through those relationships, and man, that is CLC's specialty, relational discipleship. So reach out to me. My email is mhatch at clchq.org. Would love to talk to you and meet you, hear your story, and learn more about your heart to disciple men. Also, just another quick reminder, my first book ever has been launched. Very exciting. and It is entitled Manhood, Empowered by the Light of the Gospel. It also is accompanied with a free digital course where I get, get to walk you through the book chapter by chapter. We walk through the discussion questions. I help you to figure out some ways to apply the content to maybe your specific situation. And then also, I provide a ton of resources to help you take next steps. I meant for this book to be short and accessible and actionable, so immediately. So I want you to be able to read this book and it be a jumping off point so that you can take action right away in your journey toward empowered manhood you can pre-order your copy of manhood empowered by the light of the gospel on amazon.com right now all right guys we're going to dive into the interview now in progress this is the second half of our interview with jeremy Stallnecker. okay so let's i want to dive into march or die a little bit because um sure i mean that's a that's quite a title (laughs) you know what i mean it definitely uh (laughs) kind of kind of smacks you in the face a little bit okay um yeah you're, you're offering me a, a, quite an ultimatum right here. So can you right. unpack a little bit the, the main idea, uh, in the book? And, um, yep. and cause I know it's more than a book. It's also, I think maybe you even have workbooks I'm looking for or looking at here maybe, but I know you speak about it a lot. So, yeah. um, yeah, unpack that idea a little bit for us. Yeah.
0: So the, the book March, March or Die, it actually, I wrote a blog many, many years ago, um, just talking about our experience and, uh, you know, For me, writing has always been a way to process how I feel and what I think and trying to understand things. And so um, when I was struggling with leadership, I wrote a book on leadership. That was for me. We ended up using it. Uh, March or Die was a collection of events that took place while we were in Iraq. I told those stories. And then for me, a story is only valuable if it serves a spiritual purpose. So then extracting from that the spiritual application. So this happened. What can we learn from that that we can apply to our lives spiritually? So in March or Die, I tell a story and then I draw, you know, some kind of a a line to a biblical story and, and a principle.
1: It real so quick, some not to interrupt that, you, but to interrupt yeah. you for a second, it almost sounds like the Christian version of extreme ownership. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I, I've been asked like, like a bunch of
0: times, like how is your book different than uh, Jocko's books? I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not Jocko. That's number one. Yeah, right, uh, right. Number two, um, he, he's a unique cat, and there's no one else like him in the world. Um, but but number three, I like good storytelling, but I only value good storytelling if it takes me somewhere. <laughs> and, oh, and And certainly, extreme ownership does that. He takes lessons and applies those to secular leadership. Um, but I'm I'm more interested personally in you know, being the man that God created me to be, which means there has to be a spiritual component to the decisions that I'm making. And so, um, when I wrote this book, I wanted to collect stories, but I also wanted to try to help people learn lessons that I had learned from some of those stories, the core story in there. And I won't tell the whole thing here, but, um, April 1st, we were making our way to Baghdad, um, we were tasked with securing uh, a bridge, a little bridge over a really small canal. Um, and we were going in the middle of the day because we were told there were no enemy soldiers there. So our battalion of 1,200 Marines, <laughs> uh, and I always laugh because looking back, we should have known when the division sends 1,200 Marines to secure a, a really small bridge, there's probably an enemy presence there, right? So we we were told there wouldn't be. So we made our way toward this bridge, um, got there about three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, So the sun was pretty high. The ground was flat so you could see for miles. I was the second vehicle back in our battalion column, which stretched for several miles. And I I had done, uh, because of my position in the battalion, I was navigating for us. So from Kuwait to Baghdad and back, I navigated for our battalion, which put me in the second vehicle back. So I was up at the front of the column and when we came around the corner, that kind of brought us into the straightaway toward the bridge. So now we can see the berm that the bridge was sitting on top of. We could see all of that in the distance. We came around that straightaway and the mortar round started to fall. And, and so, again, immediately it's clear there is an enemy here. And even though the intel folks said there wasn't, what did they know? They weren't here, right? So they can say whatever they want. Bad guys were shooting at us. And uh, we went. Through the process that was needed to engage the enemy as we got closer to the bridge, there was a, a not only a mortar position dropping mortar rounds on us, but there were about a, a, a company of about 100 enemy soldiers on the near side of that berm, so facing us mm. um, in machine gun wow. positions, and they started to engage us. Um, it, I, I think about this from both sides now. I didn't in the moment, but I, I can't imagine being those guys and having 1,200 Marines with um, vehicles. Um, Heavy machine guns, which is what my platoon had up front. Um, And then we had all of our own anti-armor assets and stuff. There was nothing they could do to stop us. They could try to hurt us, but they could not stop us. Mm -hmm. And we just rolled over that position that was on the near side of the berm, Um, Mm -hmm. engaged them, and, and didn't have a huge issue doing so but (laughs) the mortar rounds kept falling. We were supposed to stay on the near side. We weren't supposed to cross the bridge. We were supposed to stay there, but those mortar rounds kept falling. And so I made the decision in the moment. We've got to get to a place where we can see them. First of all, they're on elevated ground. And then we can deal with this because they were falling. the smoke. I mean, the the rounds were going into the ground, thankfully, and exploding. So the shrapnel was contained underground, but there was the percussion of the rounds and the smoke and everything else going on with that. And then if it had landed on a vehicle, you know, a lot of loss of life could have happened. So I moved eight vehicles on top of this bridge, which was just a terrible decision, but that was in the moment. That's what I felt like needed to be done. So we got up on top of the bridge. When we got there, the mortar rounds now were not sporadically, uh, around us falling around us. They were on top of us because we were in a pre-planned target area. They were ready for that. I was standing outside of my vehicle at one point and, uh, I was, talk about just screaming into the handset. Our, our, our column was several miles long. So I'm trying to get indirect support from somewhere back in the column. And while I am, the mortar rounds are falling around our feet and, and just the percussion of those explosions uh, from the bottom of my feet through the top of my head. Um, I, I mean, it shakes up your insides and you can't even mm-hmm. explain it unless you've, you've been through it. Um, Marines that were standing near me getting knocked back onto their back. but But thankfully, and, and this is only God, Uh, no one was killed. It's it's unbelievable. While we were there, and I'm trying to figure all of this out, and the mortar rounds are falling, there's an anti-aircraft gun that uh, the Iraqi soldiers had, an old Soviet-era four-barreled ZSU-23-4. You've seen them on movies, at least. There's the guy with the hand crank, and there's the guy sitting on a, a metal seat behind it. Well, they were waiting for a helicopter to come over. When we got on top of the bridge, we were the threat, so they started to spin that thing around our direction. So we've got the mortar rounds falling around us. We've got this, this four-barreled anti-aircraft gun swinging our direction. We're in a horrible, horrible spot. When I checked into the Marine Corps several years before that, um, I checked into Charlie Company 1-5, and Charlie Company had a motto because <laughs> every unit in the Marine Corps has a motto. And uh, the motto for Charlie Company was march or die. That was it. It was march or die, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the, the most marine proof motto you could find anywhere. Right. It's like it's really, really simple. You can stay where you are and die or you can march. That's it. And it's crazy what you think about when you're in you know, those moments where people are trying to kill you. The whole world was falling apart around us and the enemy was doing everything they could to kill us. And that was a march or die moment. Um, I hearkened mm-hmm. back to checking into Charlie Company like we only have two options here. We can stay where we are and die. We can decide to do that. We can decide to stay where we are, but we will die. That's the decision. Hmm. Or we can march. We can get out of here and get out of the kill zone, get to a place where we can better engage the enemy. The principle I think is clear, but this is what I talk about all the time. That's what I wrote about in the book. That's the main story in the book. Um, We got out of the kill zone. We dealt with the enemy. I, I don't always tell the end. Um, you know, we made it, <laughs> and I had this this uh, lady come up to me after church one day when I told that story, and she's like, "You didn't tell the rest of the story. What happened?" <laughs> I'm
1: like,
0: <laughs> "I'm here telling it. So, what do you think happened, right?" But she was like, "Like so upset I didn't finish telling if we won or not, right?" I'm like, "No, we huh? yeah, we got out <laughs> of it." Um, anyhow, so the analogy though is is so clear, and, and I love the idea of marching because marching is we don't know exactly where we're going to end up, but we're going over there. And you Mm. march by just putting one foot in front of the other. Like, just Mm. keep moving forward. Mm. And in life, I I think we feel like we have a thousand different choices to make and we're overwhelmed by all the possibilities and all the decisions. Mm. There may be different tactics, different techniques, different procedures, as we would say in the Marine Corps, um, different ways to do things. But when you find yourself in those those moments of trial and trauma and difficulty, you only have two choices. We all only have two choices. We can stay where we are and die. And, you know, hopefully that's not the physical kind. Uh, Again, in the veteran world, that has a physical implication. More than 20 veterans a day commit suicide. Um, More than four active duty service members a day take their lives. It's crazy. So there's that. But when I talk about death, I'm speaking more of the physical or, or, or the uh, emotional or the spiritual or the relational death, that that thing where you may be breathing and working and doing what you're supposed to do, but there's no purpose driving you. There's no real direction. You're just existing. That's not life. You can decide to do that because the obstacle or the enemy in front of you has gotten so big that you you can't move forward anymore. But the reality is you're not living. You've decided to die. And the better decision is to put one foot in front of the other and continue marching forward. And I love it because you don't have to know where you're going to end up or exactly where you're going. But you know you're getting out of the kill zone to a place where you can better deal with whatever enemy is around you. And for me, that's become, I mean, a metaphor for life (laughs) with your kids in your marriage, in your spiritual life, uh, in your work life, whatever. You don't get to pick the fight all the time, but you get to decide how you're going to fight. And you get to decide right now, regardless of how you got here, whether you're going to stay there or you're going to put one foot in front of the other and get to a better place. And so uh, that's the the basic principle. And, and, and there are other principles in the book, but um, spiritually speaking, I, I think it's the exact same same thing. We just got, we have to keep moving forward for the glory of God. And in his purpose, this is not about us generating enough energy to do something, but focus on what God wants us to do, what we know God wants us to do and keep moving into that.
2: And once you're in motion, you can, you can change your course more easily. I mean, I I use sports analogies a lot, but you know, when you're stationary in sports, whether it's basketball, playing defense or tennis or anything, moving in reaction to something happening is very difficult. Whereas when you're already in motion, you may even be leaning the wrong direction, but you can more quickly yep. adjust when you're in motion. So,
0: yeah. And, and th- this is the thing we do, right? Is we hit these moments of, of trial. We'll say trial. It could be trauma. It could be whatever. And we say, I just don't know what to do here. So we don't do anything. That's right. a decision yep. to stay where you are and die. What we as Christians know is some really basic stuff God's told us to do. Read the Bible, spend time in prayer, get in community with other believers, uh, Mm. spend time in congregation, in church, where the word of God is preached and taught to us. Uh, Learn what the Bible says and then respond to it to do it. Well, the decision to die is saying, I don't know what to do because of my marriage situation, so I'm not going to do any of this other stuff. Mm. The decision to march is, I don't know what to do in my marriage situation right now, so I'm going to continue doing the things I know I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to get around the right people who can help me move forward. I'm going to keep moving forward hmm. and figure this thing out along the way because you're absolutely right. You're not going to be able to move if you're stationary. <laughs> like that's intuitive. That makes sense. But so many people are like, I'm going to sit here until I figure this thing out. No, you're not going to go anywhere else. You've made a decision to stay where you are and, you know, essentially uh, to die.
2: And, and moving or marching, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on this show, but as men, we are often hesitant to move in the direction of another man, to go ask for help hmm. or to ask for advice. Yeah. And so we stay stationary yep. because we are afraid to go, to go to another man. Now, I mean, early on in our conversation here, you talked about how you had – very tight bonds with people in combat, which I, I can't relate to entirely because I haven't been in combat. But, you know, it had to be such a dramatic change for you to then be in a situation where you didn't have tight, I mean, you had tight bond with your wife, but, you know, in terms of other yeah. men, you didn't have yeah. men around you that understood you yeah. and had shared experiences like that. So um I think that, Men, whether it's trauma or just struggles, we we have to move in the direction of other men. We're we're reluctant, yeah. but I think we ha- we have to force ourselves yeah. to do that.
0: Well, when I when I look at my story of you know moving forward, right, personally, so much of that was because of my pastor mm-hmm. who confronted me, my dad <laughs> who didn't necessarily confront me about the military stuff, but like, hey, you can't you can't treat your wife and kids this way. Right. Um, a man in our church, a deacon who like called me out one day, like, this Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. You need to stop behaving this way. You can't treat people this way. I, I did have those men. I didn't ask for them and I didn't run to them, but, but I was in a church community where those men existed. Right. And, and they came to me and, and said, look, we've got nothing to gain or lose here, but, but you need to know some things. So you're, you're 100% right. If we try to do this on our own, um, we're not going to make it. We just won't. We need other people.
2: And that took courage on their part. I mean, these guys, you know, uh, yeah. again, a lot of times we're reluctant to go to another man and say, dude, yeah. you need to stop doing this, you know, because yeah. it exposes us. It's a risk. That's right. That's right. So that's so interesting. So I had a
1: question earlier as we were just starting kind of the interview as you were just sharing and I feel like it might relate here as, as well because when, one of the things I was thinking about is that I think most people feel ill-equipped to to help veterans mm. who are really struggling. Yeah. Right. right? Right. We feel like, I know, I'll speak for myself, I feel like I could never relate. You know what I mean? I, I could never, and but maybe that's it's not necessary in a sense. I, I assume you'll share more about it, but just, and, and I think let's unpack this a little bit because I think there could be some truth here too, in terms of just confronting each other as men in general. I think there's a lot of maybe common themes that may play out as, as you share, but, but you know, as, as you're thinking about, or I'm think I'm thinking about people like that who may have veterans in their, in their lives yeah. who are struggling. Yeah. yeah what, What would you say to that person like me who feels completely ill-equipped to help someone like that? I would approach it from two sides.
0: I do believe that for a veteran or a service member, this could be in the first responder community as well, who is struggling. For that person, it's really easy to throw up a facade that says – you can't help me because you don't know what I'm going through. You right. haven't experienced this. There are a lot of cultural reasons for that. There are a lot of reasons we could talk about. But regardless, mm-hmm. that does exist. And it it can be very helpful to have someone from that community speak into that because they mm-hmm. can push past that wall and say, look, I do know because I have been there. That's a big part of why Mighty Oaks works. The work that we do, it works because mm-hmm. it's facilitated by men and women who have a shared experience. And so we're able to cut through a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the, the nonsense, if you will, pretty quickly. But if we really believe that the Bible is sufficient, if we really believe mm-hmm. that the Bible has the answers for whatever we may be dealing with, then what you need to be to help other people is someone that knows what the Bible says Mm -hmm. and someone that graciously and lovingly is willing to confront those in their life with the truth of the word of God. And that Mm -hmm. needs to be gracious. It needs to be kind. It needs to be all of those things. Um, But the people that really stepped into my life were people that did know the Bible and understood that I was not living my life in a way that reflected that. Mm -hmm. Now, my response to that has to be, The right response. But if you want to help other people, help them with the word of God, help them the way that you would help anyone else struggling, struggling with addiction, struggling with marriage issues, struggling with raising their kids, struggling with, you know, whatever. The struggles are the same. The cause may be different, but the struggles are the same, which means the solution is the same. The solution is the word of God. Identity is not an issue reserved for those who've served in the military. That's a, for, for men, that's a big issue. Um, understanding how to align your life to the life God created you to live is an issue that all of us are struggling with, and we need people who can minister the Word of God to us. I, I will say that um, it, it depends on where you are in the person's life as well. Mm-hmm. Close family members typically do not do as well trying to help as those who are a few circles removed. If you're a close family member, you need to be there. You need to be present. You need to be willing to listen. You need to have some resources available. Maybe offer a book, but don't push. Don't nag. Uh, don't. That's not your role. You need to have the role of support and being there for them throughout the course of their life. But if you are you know, someone in the church, if you are a friend who has the ability to speak into someone's life, you're in a good position to say, look, I care about you. I have nothing to gain here. And that's important too, because a lot of people feel like you're manipulating them for some personal gain of some kind. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to gain here. I just care about you and I care about your family. Let me help you. Let's work through this together. And the work through it together is let's see what the Bible says and let's move forward. So there are a lot of, um, you know, kind of wrinkles to that. But if you have the opportunity to speak into someone's life, do it with the word of God do it with compassion, do it with kindness. If you have a personal story of difficulty, trial, overcoming that you can share, share it, uh, make a connection, and then just do what you would do with anyone else in, in your life, anyone else in the church.
1: That's really helpful. I think that's really helpful. And again, I, I just, I see so many parallels to, to just, uh, obviously, it's why I wrote the book. It applies, obviously, to, to men who mm. are veterans, but also sure. other, other men in general, because right. we all get right. stuck. We all get stuck. And yeah. yep. I've heard it over and over, the analysis paralysis kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. Where you just yeah. you just get stuck and don't know how to move forward. And sometimes you need that person from the outside to say, hey, yeah. you, you take this one step. Let me help you. Let me walk with that's you. exactly right. Um, really appreciate it. Yeah. And, that.
0: and, you know, confrontation is only helpful if it comes from a place of relationship. So right. I, that's important to remember, too. If you have some random guy walk up to you and go, hey, man. You need to straighten this out. I'm not going to listen to that guy now, like <laughs> at this point in my life. But, it, but if I know someone cares about me and the people who talk, who, who spoke into my life, who did confront me, yeah, I, I knew were people who cared about me because mm-hmm. we had a relationship bigger than, you know, kind of beyond this. Yeah. And um, so build mm-hmm. that relationship and, and, and then leverage that.
1: <sighs> Something just hit me. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to open up a whole nother can of worms. I know we're getting close on time, but man, (laughs) this just, this hit me. When you just said that, I'm like, you had a community. Yes. You had a church. Yes. And you probably had some semblance of that maybe before the military, right? Where you kind of knew that the church community, how many men go off and join the military and enter into battle, go into war, whatever they, they do, and then and that's their community that's it like yeah. in fact that's probably one of the yep. main reasons why they joined and then they come back right and there's nobody that's I, right I, like that just yeah. hit me how many men out there right now are absolutely isolated yeah who are veterans right now as a result of that oh my gosh that wow
0: yeah, yeah that's exactly right and that's why i think i was able to move forward quickly um mm. because i had already had that community built in mm-hmm. um, but you're right. If you find, and this is what I was talking about with identity. If you find your whole identity in the community of the military, and then you're out, you've lost everything, right? Right. You've lost everything you've invested in all of the relationships that you have. um, Maybe even how you process life and what you do, everything is different and you've lost that and you don't have another community to fall back into. So um, having that before, I mean, you know, if there's a, an 18-year-old kid who wants to go in the military who's listening,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, make sure that's right before you go in. And if mm. there are older men mm. um, who can encourage them while they're in, don't, don't allow them to disconnect from, from that community. Yeah, be there for them.
1: Yeah. All right. I'm really sad. We're coming up on time. You got to take off, I know. Um, <laughs> real quick, Sure. How can folks connect with you? Where, where can they find you online? Um, maybe follow what you're what you're up to. Yeah. And then before you leave, I want to pray for you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, really do appreciate the conversation. This is such an important conversation. Um, a lot of different places that you can find us. The, the organization that I'm a part of is called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. So you can find out everything you need to know about the Mighty Oaks Foundation and the work that we do um, on our website, mightyoaksprograms.org, mightyoaksprograms.org to follow me and uh, the other stuff that I'm involved in I've got a couple of podcasts and a blog and just different things just use my name jeremystonlecker.com jeremystonlecker.com also links out to mighty oaks to the other work that I'm involved in everything is kind of right there so jeremystonlecker.com would be a great place to start
1: okay great thank you so much for being with us let me let me pray for you before we head out god thank you so Please. much thank you for jeremy thank you for his ministry thank you for his story for his humility, God, the ways that you have um, broken him to be dependent on you, God. Thank you for his church family who uh, was courageous enough to call him out, to confront him, Lord. Thank you for the his spirit, uh, Jeremy's spirit, Lord, that was willing to listen and the work of your spirit in him, Father, uh, to, to make it so he was in a place to listen. Um, God, I praise you for the work he's doing. Pray that for your continued... Um, protection for him and his wife and their family, God, that you would uh, continue to provide everything that they need, sustain him uh, for the battles he's facing on a regular basis now in ministry, God. And we entrust him into your hands, God, knowing that you are faithful, you are good. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, Jeremy, thank you so much for being with us, brother. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. Really appreciate it, guys. Uh, Anytime.
0: It's fantastic.